Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is going on out there? If you are listening right now, you are in for a real treat. On today's show, you will hear from an individual who was podcasting before we even knew what a podcast was. She was an extremely successful radio and podcast host who has founded and led several organizations and dedicated her life to share inspirational, encouraging stories from those who've overcome major hardships and provide key insights on exactly what they did to come out on the other side, forged and transformed. She began her journey in the midst of some hardships of her own. And her show has grown to over 2.5 million downloads per episode. Very impressive. And I am thrilled to have the host of Wake Up with Patty Catter with us today. Patty, welcome to GLE. Thank you, Phil, for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. Well, thank you for coming on. And and Patty, when when, uh, our friend introduced us, I was looking into everything you're doing. I was just so impressed because I saw you had you know, businesses that had impacted just thousands and thousands of lives. And people hear this like 2.5 million downloads per episode number. And, and it sounds really cool. But when I hear that, I just think about all the millions of lives that you've been able to touch and, you know, people that have heard you go on to touch other lives, you know, you just probably have no clue all the people that you've impacted. And I'm just, you know, thrilled to have you on. And I want to share your story with our audience, because I really think it's going to benefit them to hear how someone like yourself has grown to this point over these years. So if we can maybe share just a little bit about your story and, and what this journey looked like for you, where it began. Yeah, it actually began when I was really little (laughs) in a way. So I was about four years old or so, and I used to love to write. Like I would draw on everything I could and write on everything I could And my grandma taught me how to write the letters E and O. Um, Those were the first couple letters that I learned to do. So I would always tell her I want to E-O. And so I would sit there and I would just write and I would ask tons of questions and pretend like I was writing down the answers. Um, So it kind of started there and progressed Um, in around fifth grade. My friends and I at recess, we would pretend like we were little reporters. And then in 10th grade of high school, I started writing for a newspaper called Word Up. It was a teen newspaper in Michigan and Flint. And um, it just kind of was my passion to interview people um, and to get to know them and what made, made them tick and what the good things were about them so that I could share them, share these things with other readers. I realized in 10th grade that you can actually make a huge difference by writing an article. 
So I wrote an article about our lunches at school and how horrible they were and how disgusting they tasted. (laughs) And um, my principal called me down to the office the day after that article came out. And I was afraid I was going to get in big trouble (laughs) because it wasn't very nice. It was funny, though. It was funny. Um, But they told me they were changing the entire school menu at lunch just because of that article. And I was like, wow, this is cool. So that's kind of where I learned that you could use your words for good, um, as far as touching a larger audience. So fast forward a little bit, and I ended up meeting who is now my husband, Ken, um, when I was in my early, it was actually 20 years old. And, um, he, he was just getting out of the Marine Corps. Um, so out of the military and I didn't really understand the the big picture of that then, you know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't even old enough to drink alcohol or purchase alcohol. So I didn't really get it other than he had really big muscles and he was pretty handsome and he Uh was really nice. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) yeah, so basically, um, we met, he became a police officer for about a decade. I was a police reservist in Saginaw, Michigan. And then 9-11 had happened and things started getting crazy in the world and the recruiters needed more military personnel. So my husband ended up joining the military again Mm. after we talked it through. And I don't know if you have any questions for me right now. I can stop. I'm like, no, I'm loving it. You're doing great. You know, I'm just thinking timeline when you start dropping dates like 9-11 in there, it's pretty, you know, it, it had to be a very interesting time for your husband and and you having that conversation, getting back in the military. I mean, was that frightening for you at all? Like, did you know what that was going to be like? I didn't really have a a big, uh, like I said this earlier, but the big picture in my head, um, I knew it was significant. I, we had two nephews who were in the military. One Mm -hmm. had gotten injured and he was getting a medical discharge. And then the other one, Um, he ended up having PTSD from combat Mm. and still though, you know, my husband and I were much older than our nephews and, uh, my husband had a really great training in the Marine Corps. He was in something called recon and they're pretty high speed. Mm -hmm. Um, he was trained really well. He had his police experience. Um, he was even a shooting instructor while he was in the military. And, uh, so I knew he was ready um, as ready as he could be. And I, and he really felt called to enlist in the military again. Yeah. So I, I firmly believe if you feel like you really have a passion or you're called to do something, you sure. should just do it. Yeah. Um, but I remember on nine 11, he was working as a police officer and he called and he, you know, said to turn on the news and I looked and to see what was going on. And it was a little scary. Um, you where know, were people, you? We were in Bridgeport, Michigan is where we were living at the time. Okay. And we did have some property. So we were kind of away from the city and it was kind of surreal. It was like unimaginable what was going on, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, all the police departments were on high alert. Nobody knew what was going on. Wow. And it wasn't though until 2005, he ended up joining the army. So it was still a okay. few years later. Sure. Um, it was kind of, uh, in the heat of everything, I guess. Um, and so he did join the army and we, at that time we had three kids by then and we 
packed them all up. I sold the house in Michigan. We moved to North Carolina, Fort Bragg. Um, he was in the 82nd airborne, um, post nine 11. And the first thing he did is he went to hurricane Katrina cleanup. Mm. That was good. Um, and then he started training for war. Yeah. And so he, all this is going on, you know, you, you have kids, your, your mom, were, were you working? Were you doing anything during this time? Yeah. So I was a police reservist at the time, mm-hmm. um, right before he enlisted in the army all the way up until actually we were getting ready to leave. Okay. And then I also did a couple little odd jobs. I worked at a dental hygienist, um, at a, at a dental office as a hygienist assistant for a little while. And, uh, I was an author and CEO of a teen newspaper there. So I mm-hmm. was a chief editing officer there and really enjoyed it. Um, the kids were awesome. You know, we had 30 acres of land. We had a, a really big house and, oh, wow. uh, we had it kind of, you know, it was made, it was like the, yeah. the great, nice story. Um, but at the same time we knew, you know, it was time to move on. There was some, some other adventure at that sure. point, we had no idea what we were getting ready to walk into though. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I was actually in Michigan at uh, the time of nine 11 as well. I was up in the Detroit area and I was in uh, seventh grade to, to age myself. I was a little baby. I was a little baby boy. Just a little tot. <laughs> yeah. Right. I remember the teachers coming in and say, turn on the TV. The twin towers got hit. I'm like, I didn't even know what the world trade center was. You know, I'd never been to New York or or any oh of that word. but um and yeah, in seventh grade wild. that must have been extra frightening i mean that's you know you're so young yeah you it know. was it was bizarre you know it, it was one of the everybody said it would be one of those moments right like do you remember where you were when we landed on the moon or whatever right you know it's kind of one of those pivotal sort of sort of things everybody kind of remembers where they were right mm-hmm. um so your husband goes off back to war right mm-hmm. and, yeah um, so so he was, he trained for a little while and then he, um, he ended up, I'm trying to think if this happened. <laughs> okay. So he, he was training while he was training. My parents ended up moving from Florida to North Carolina to be near us. I had to think of what the timeline there, Sure. Yeah. um, in during that time. So my mom had been battling breast cancer and she had gone into remission and my parents bought a house in a little place called Rayford, North Carolina. And I decided to go over to their neighbor's house to see if they would sell the house to, uh, to me, my cool. husband, and they did. So awesome. we lived right next door to my parents. And then, uh, Ken, he ended up deploying to Iraq in August of 2006. Okay. And during that time, you know, my parents were right there for us. Um, it started to get crazy though, in a very short amount of time. So August is when he deployed to Iraq in November was the first fatality Mm -hmm. of his unit. And that just happened to be his, um, truck commander was killed in front of him. And then it was three days later, my best friend from junior high school lost her husband, um, in a whole nother area. They were not even in the same Mm -hmm. um, place, but, um, long story short, my husband ended up coming home for R and R pretty early in the deployment. Usually they, you know, they wait quite a while and they go halfway through the deployment. They get a R and R, which is like a little leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came home, we ended up going back to back funerals in DC, um, one 
it was my husband's truck commander and then my best friend's husband. They were, they ended up getting buried next to each other in Arlington. Mm. And so my kids the whole time, you know, they were really worried about Ken. Um, they had a hard time sleeping. They just, they really missed him because he was always a good family man. He was a good father. And, uh, some of the kids in the neighborhood had said, Oh, your dad's going to war. He's going to get killed. So that was like fresh in their heads Mm -hmm. the whole time. You know, they just kind of worried. Um, he ended up going throughout the rest of the deployment. They had a lot of uh, fatalities, unfortunately, and a lot of uh, casualties, injuries in war in May of 2007, he ended up being wounded in war. And we did not understand really the significance of it at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, because it was so chaotic and we were losing so many soldiers during that time. So when he was injured, an IED went off underneath the seat of his vehicle and it did not come out for a short period. He had blood coming out of his ears and still didn't really quite understand what was going on. Um, we barely had a chance to talk to each other on the phone. So when he did call, he just basically was like, Oh, I bet you heard I got hurt. And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> what oh happened? Cause I, wow. he was the first one to call me to tell me that <laughs> how uh, much, how much time had passed since he had gotten hurt before you got that call. It was probably two to three days. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And they did not, um, they didn't really give him a lot of time off. They gave him a couple of days off. But when I say they had a couple of days off, it was, he was doing a roof patrol. He was staying, you know, he stayed back. He wasn't out on a mission. Um, so it was a very short amount of time. And he, I remember him writing me one letter and it said, um, if anything happens to me, like it just, and it was like really not a comforting letter. Yeah. It wasn't a very comforting letter. (laughs) And, uh, and there were a few things that didn't really sound like him. And it looked like it was super scribbled and I didn't really understand. I just figured, Oh, he's super busy. He didn't have a lot of time to, to, you know, write nice. I mean, they're in war, you know, what do I expect? Right. Um, so he ended up going through the rest of his deployment and came home on October 23rd, 2007, which was my oldest daughter's birthday. (laughs) And that's why I'll never forget that date. But, um, when they came home, he was, completely different than when he had left. And I expected that to a point. I thought that he was probably having, um, like maybe he had like shell shock and he Mm -hmm. was probably, you know, maybe some jet lag because I'm sure he's exhausted. Um, but the first night home, he did not remember eating dinner with us. He thought we were joking when we said we ate already and he started to get pretty irate. (laughs) Um, so I ended up telling him that he had to go to the doctor. Like I didn't even give him a chance. I just was like, you're going, you need to get seen. He had also had a seizure the very first night he was home. And I wasn't even sure, like, it was so shocking to me. I was like, is he just like, what is this a sleep terror? Like what is going on? And oh later gosh. we found out he was having seizures. So, wow. um, at Fort Bragg, his doctor right away diagnosed him with a moderate to severe head injury. And it had, you know, he had seizures, short-term memory loss, and they just started doing all these tests. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting rushed for um, an emergency neck surgery. They sent him to Walter Reed in DC. 
And, um, I mean, it was just like one thing after the next, um, he sure. was at Fort Bragg for almost three years for medical treatment, just strictly medical treatment. Um, wow. which at the time I was so frustrated and I hated it. I just wanted to get out of there. I just wanted to get far away, but looking back, it was so good. That they spent all that time on him because he had, you know, medical records, totes and totes full of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, from brain scans to different kinds of testing to different treatments. And, um, back then it was pretty rare to be diagnosed in the military with a brain injury. They were still Mm -hmm. learning about that. And his neurologist even went over to his unit to kind of explain to the other guys what to look for as far as brain injury goes. Mm -hmm. So that had to be like totally overwhelming as a, as a mom, who's taking care of kids. And now you've got, you've got to deal with this. And I know so many of our, our veterans and our, our military personnel, their, you know, their spouses and the people that stay home, you know, they're really heroes too. I think for all the work they do to, to allow those men and women to go fight and, and do what they do to, to protect our country. You know, it's pretty incredible. What, what was that like for you? I mean, it had to just be tough with, with him gone and, and then coming back. What, what was going through your mind? How did, how did that lead? How did, how is this leading you to, you know, start wake up with Patty Catter? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So when he was deployed, um, I started a small support group for military spouses and a couple of them started moving. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to figure out how to keep connected with those spouses that are moving and then let them still feel like they're a part of, you know, military family. And what happened is I found this online talk show program and it was called talk shoe radio. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so I ended up starting this little program on this little rinky dink, uh, website. And I guess it just kind of started to grow organically because some of those spouses that were at Fort Bragg told mm-hmm. some of their friends who told their friends, so that's kind of how that started to grow. And then I switched over to blog talk radio for quite a long time. And, uh, during all that, while that was going on, um, as far as my kids go and being a mom, that was very hard, but the talk show and the support group that I was running kind of helped me get through those times just to keep mm-hmm. busy and not think about things too much. And, um, When my husband ended up coming home from war and when he was going through all those doctor's appointments, he could not drive at all. He could not drive because of his seizures and he kept, he got lost. Um, so what happened is I ended up having to pull the kids out of school on top of everything else. And I homeschooled them in doctor's offices and in hospitals. So how old were they during that time? Oh my gosh. So my, my youngest would have been six. Let's see, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Six, nine and 12. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it was really challenging. I was afraid I was going to fail them, you know, as a mom, I was afraid I wasn't going to teach them well. Um, it was really nerve wracking. I kind of look now, um, with everybody complaining cause they had a homeschool last year. Oh <laughs> yeah. I think, Oh, that's <laughs> nothing. Try everything else on top of it. Oh, I um, can only imagine. <laughs> Believe it or not. I was homeschooled for a couple of years. I actually have a, uh, a, a real affinity for it. I, I like homeschooling. I think it's, it's one of those kind of faux pas things that has a stigma a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always worried. They're going to, like you said, you're going to screw it up or like, 
oh no, my kids aren't going to know how to talk to people or they're going to be weird or whatever. And like, I just don't, I don't think that's a problem. Like, I don't think it's not, it ended up to be one of the best things that we did um, because, you know, it made up for lost time when Ken was deployed, they could see their dad a lot more. Um, they could learn at their own pace. So instead of being stuck in say, I'll use fifth grade as an example, Mm -hmm. one of my kids was a fifth grader, but could also do eighth, ninth and 10th grade work um, and some subjects, you know? Right. So it definitely had its perks. Um, at the time I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? But now all three of them are in college. <laughs> so yeah. we wow. did something right. Um, you were, but, you were a nonprofit founder too, right? Kind yeah, of around was, that same time, like Oh six timeframe. Um, it was, yeah, actually. So I kind of forgot about that. So way back in 2006, I started Christian military wives and uh-huh. that was, um, actually the little support group I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. And interesting enough, um, after Ken was wounded, I felt like somebody else needed to lead that. I just couldn't do that anymore because he wasn't in the military anymore at one point. And Mm -hmm. we were in a whole nother ball game. You know, he wasn't um, able to serve anymore. He was wounded. So I ended up talking to somebody through Christian military fellowship and they Mm -hmm. took over Christian military wives for me, which I'm still very thankful for. And it's still a running nonprofit today. Um, and then it would be in 2011 ish. I think it was, I started voice of warriors, which was Mm -hmm. a Michigan nonprofit and connecting, uh, military communities and veterans together with their different resources that they needed to help each other. Um, and during that time we had voice of warriors talk radio and Mm -hmm. that went really well. I had several hosts helping me and several volunteers and it was really hard, um, because we ended up moving from Michigan to Florida in 2014. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty hard because I made such really good friends there. The, that part was the difficult part, but it kind of just, you know, it kept paving my path, um, Mm -hmm. I guess. So, um, did you have any business background before that, Patty? Like you're just like, Oh yeah, I just started a nonprofit and then I started another one and you've got three kids. Like what, what was that like? You know, how did you, how did you make those decisions? You know, I could never explain it. Um, (laughs) so ever since I was really young, I could just do certain things. If I was passionate about them, I don't know how I could just do them. So (laughs) for instance, I really wanted to build a website. So I would just started building websites. Like I have no idea. I had no training. (laughs) Um, other than I do research a lot. So if I'm interested in something, I research the heck out of it and figure out how to do it. And also I'm really passionate about one thing and it's, if something's on my heart and I, I feel like it needs to be done. I always feel like I'm the one who needs to do it if it's on my heart and I'll figure it out as I go. (laughs) So, yeah. I think that's a great, great philosophy. You mentioned earlier too, about kind of, you know, feeling called to do, to do things. Where did, where did the calling for, I mean, you, you've kind of always been interested in, in, uh, you know, interviewing people you were doing that at a young age, right. You mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like this, this was a calling for you? And, and when did you kind of have that realization? Yeah, I can definitely admit it right now. Um, there were a few times I did not want to admit it (laughs) because, you know, um, being a 
being a spouse and caregiver of somebody who was wounded in war is definitely not easy. So I would never have thought that that would be my quote unquote calling. But one thing about me is when I see something that needs to be done, if I really, um, I don't know how to explain it, but if I really feel it like in my heart, in my gut, um, I know I'm the one that's supposed to come forward and make things happen, I guess. So, um, I, I never really thought that this would be my path. However, on the, on the other hand, ever since I was little, it's like, I had all this stuff inside of me that mm-hmm. kind of like when the little kid is just playing with blocks, you know, and then they, all of a sudden they build like, like this beautiful city if, if out of these Legos or something. Right. And that's kind of how I felt. And I still feel about this path. I remember there was one time specifically that I was just exhausted from everything. So I had mentioned my parents earlier on purpose because, um, I was pretty close with my parents, especially as an adult. Um, and my mom, she did end up passing away from cancer. And my dad did pass away seven months later. I say as from a broken heart, but he ended up taking his own life. And though that was a very, um, trying time in my life and it still is, um, but where I'm going with this is it was just such a trying time, especially after my dad had taken his life. And I remember I went to the beach here in Florida where we live and it was cold outside, but I just needed to get away for a little bit and the beach relaxes me. So I was sitting on the beach and like talking to God inside my head, like, okay, God, um, will you please show me a sign of something else I can do? Like, give me anything else, but I just can't do this anymore because at that point I had lost my parents. Um, unfortunately I had lost a good friend to suicide. He was a military veteran. And one of the um, statistics, there's 22 veterans per day who kill themselves, if not more now, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was just, there was just so much building up. Um, and then all I help veterans all the time and I, I loved helping them, but it, it was hard. Like, Oh yeah. Um, I remember getting a call in the middle of the night one night, one guy, he's, he, <laughs> he's like stressing out and saying he wants to kill himself. And then another oh, guy gosh. texts me one other, it was like four o'clock in the morning and I get this text. It woke me up and it said, um, you know, thank you for helping me, but there's nothing else you can do. And I'm like, what? So I quit call him and I'm like, what are you doing? And he literally told me he had a gun in his mouth right before I called him. And so we met for coffee at four 30 in the morning and took them to the VA and got him some help. But it was things like that, that were just really piling on me and really being heavy on my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I was at the beach and I was just like, okay, like, like what else is there? Cause this isn't it. <laughs> like I'm refusing this. This is not it. Literally nobody else on the beach. And then all of a sudden some guy comes walking up next to me, probably from here to that table behind me. Mm-hmm. And he takes out of his bag. This it's called a whoopie in the military. It's like a parachute, uh, mm-hmm liner and, uh, or poncho liner or something. I don't know. Um, and he sits down and I'm like, you have the whole beach and some military dudes pulling all his stuff out next to me. And this is what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) There's your sign. It was definitely like the biggest sign. And ever since then, ever since that day, I accept it now. Like I can go anywhere. I was 
somewhere the other day. And, uh, this man, he just like comes up to me and starts talking to me. And at first I thought he wasn't all there, Mm -hmm. but he starts talking about training with Navy seals and all, I mean, like not even, hi, how are you? Just, Hey, so uh, I used to go diving and he like starts talking about his military. Wow. So I definitely think it's it's for some calling. (laughs) It it has to be. I say it all the time you're right where you need to be to get where you need to go. And I think if people, if you're listening right now and you just heard Patty go over that, go rewind it and listen again, because it's so powerful just to hear those struggles you were going through and how it's almost like you've been prepared to do what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You've, you've gone through the fire and, and been crafted and molded. And, and it's always, I find you, you get pushed to this point of like, hopelessness almost where it's not hopelessness, but it's helplessness. Mm -hmm. And then you look to God for the, for the hope and, and he gives it to you. It's Mm -hmm. it's like in that moment where, where you kind of see, it's like, Oh, I'm supposed to have gone through all that stuff. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to to do the things that I'm able to do now. And like, I just think that's so amazing when I hear you say that it's just ringing in my head that, Mm -hmm. that, uh, it seems like he put you through something like that. It's true. You know, um, my friend Joey who killed himself, he, um, he overdosed. And at the Mm -hmm. time I definitely couldn't explain it. And if I even go back further than that, way back in high school, I lost some good friends. And so it was all these little things through life, um, that I couldn't understand when you're, you know, you're going through something, you don't quite understand it, but Mm -hmm. now I'm to the point where it's like, okay, whatever's next is supposed to be here for a reason. It's on my path. It's my journey. Um, I know how to deal with losing somebody to suicide now. And Mm -hmm. so now when I do talk to military families who've lost a loved one to suicide, I, I understand personally. Um, and so I'm able to help them and you're absolutely correct. We go through these experiences and we, if we, for me, if I feel like if I hoard all these experiences to myself, then everything I've been through has been in vain. And now I have the outlook of, I can share my story so that other people can feel hope. They're not going to feel alone. They're going to feel like there's other people out there who care, who understand. And heck, maybe I don't understand everything, but I'm still here to listen. Mm -hmm. Man, Patty, you've impacted so many people. If y'all don't follow Patty, you got to go do it. You go to pattycatter.com, P-A-T-T-I-K-A-T-T-E-R.com. You can find her on all the major social medias at Patty Catter and go give her a follow, subscribe, listen to her stories because she's she's doing some really amazing things and impacting so many people. And, And something you said earlier, Patty, really stuck with me. And it's that if you feel that internal sort of pull, that internal call that, you know, that that's God telling you that you, you need to go do something. And, and I, I really think so many people sell themselves short in their day to day that, oh, you know, somebody else needs to do that. Or, or they, you know, they feel like they need to speak up in a situation or they need to, you know, maybe do something and, or someone needs to do something. And they're always waiting for someone else to go do it. But really the reason that they're even thinking about it or the reason they have it on their mind is because it's something they probably need to do themselves. And, and the reason they don't is they think they can't make an impact or they can't, you know, really make a difference or, or no one's going to listen to them or they're afraid of what someone's going to say about them. 
right? Or think about them. And oh, that's huge for me. Like that's yeah. been a huge hurdle to get over. Mm-hmm. How, how did you get over it? Did you get over it? Or is yeah. it still something you deal with? So I have a great friend. His name is Mike Young. He is my business mentor. And okay. Mike is called the makeover master. He's amazing. And I was talking to him one day, we were talking about my hangups. Like, why am I not self-promoting more? Why am I not putting myself out there more? And I told him, I feel really uncomfortable because I don't want my show to always feel about me. And he's like, well, you're being pretty selfish. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought that was not selfish. (laughs) And he's like, well, you're hoarding all, all of your resources. You're hoarding yourself. And like, you can make a difference and you're not. So like, that's not good. But then also, um, the other thing was there were so many times that I volunteered for nonprofits, like through my, all these years. And he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting your own business, which is why we're on wake up with Patty Catter. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's like, there's nothing wrong with starting your own business because when you're successful in your own business, you can help even more people. And so my mentality before was to always try to give to these nonprofits. My mentality now is the more money I make with my business, I can do whatever I want with it, including giving it directly to who it is that I want to help. Right. So that's how I got over it. That's amazing mindset. If you're listening right now, replay that because that is truly, I think money mentality for people is, is a hangup. It's a, it's almost like we've been taught that it's, it's bad to make a lot of money or, you know, it's selfish to want to be successful at something. And, and what you just said is, is the dynamite. It's why, why do you want it? Why do you want to be successful? Is it because you want to glorify yourself or do you want a successful business? So you can go, you know, you, you can't even help yourself if you don't have money. Right. Mm-hmm. So if the more money you can make, just, it just amplifies what you're able to do and, and who you are. Right. Absolutely. Love that, Patty. Love that. So you've been a business owner. You started nonprofits. You started radio. Been involved with a lot of military folks over the years. You mentioned a ton of stuff about problems in military families. Probably some of them are fairly uh, well known. You know, what, what do we need to know about what's going on in the military right now? Or what, what is the average American who's, who's not really a part of the military? You know, what, what don't they know that that would be really important for them to know and, and maybe help them see how, how they might want to and, and can help out military families more? Mm-hmm. Well, in my experience, most military soldiers, veterans, Marines, whatever branch, they don't like to ask for help. First of all, (laughs) so say, you know, a veteran in your neighborhood and their grass is pretty long and you don't know what's going on over there. Well, instead of assuming things like go over and be like, Hey, do you need any help? I'd like to help you (laughs) because sometimes they have a physical problem. Like a lot of our guys and girls have back issues and different physical ailments after their time in the military, for whatever reasons, it could Mm -hmm. be combat. It could be just training. Mm -hmm. Um, but whatever it is, you know, like, like I said, they don't really like to ask for help. The other thing that I personally experienced as a military spouse was after Ken was out of the military and he retired out, we went back home to Saginaw, Michigan area. And I felt so completely lost at the time because 
we were so used to being near that military post and mm. on that military base every single day right. that when we came back home, it was like, where's everybody that we used to know? And we, you know, they all found us and thankfully we came from police background too. So we had that police family, but mm. still I would go over to the veterans park sometimes and just sit there and write in my journal. And, um, I started meeting a lot of veterans that would do the same thing. They would, they would go there just to feel like there was some type of military, you know, connection that they could have back at home. So that's when I personally decided to start, um, a group there in Michigan that would support each other. And so I think that if you're a civilian listening, you know, see how you can get involved with your different veteran groups and see if there's anything that you can maybe do for them or, or get to know your, um, veteran families and veterans. If you're listening and spouses, don't always expect somebody else to come over and introduce themselves, like put yourself out there a little bit and be a little bit vulnerable, which is probably completely hard for you to do. Um, but I think also remembering that because in the military family, we feel like sometimes civilians, it's hard to be friends with civilians. <laughs> they don't understand, but they're not going to understand if you don't open up to them. So just be open and receptive and civilians can make really great friends. You guys <laughs> really, why, why is that? You think I didn't realize there was that sort of stigma. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, I think it's just because you know, when you meet somebody in the military for us, anyways, our situation may be a little bit different than other veterans, of course, than their families. Um, but for us, it was like, Ken was deployed to war. Mm -hmm. He lost, um, 28 friends in war. He had over hundred in his unit were wounded. He was wounded and we knew some acronyms like TBI, PTSD. Sometimes people don't know TBI is a traumatic brain injury. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's just things that you go through as a military family that you automatically assume that civilians don't understand because, you know, while Ken was in war, he had seen many different horrible, horrible things. Mm -hmm. And then you come back home and his, like one of the first times we went to a restaurant like his order was messed up, but it was really no big deal. He's just like, Hey, can you, you know, fix this or whatever. And the waitress was making it a huge deal. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's okay. It's like the first meal. <laughs> like I've had at a restaurant and this is really good compared to eating an MRE. Right. Um, or on the flip side, you're standing in line at a burger joint and somebody in front of you is complaining because that they're out of onions. And it's like, it's just onions people, you know, right, so there's, right. there's just some differences. There's a lot of hardships that some of our veterans have gone through in their families. And mm -hmm. when you're meeting new friends, like for me, it was always kind of difficult to have maybe Ken have some short-term memory problems in front of a new friend. And then the new friends like, what man, you old, you got old timers, you know, and start joking around like a normal person would do. But then you're like, uh, he's got a brain injury. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that's funny. It's, uh, I remember, I remember being on a golf course one time and, uh, do you ever, have you ever golfed, Patty? A little bit. I'm not good, but a little. Okay. Well, you know, you know, the, the, um, how you yell for, if you're going to, if you hit a ball and you're going to hit yes. somebody, 
Mm-hmm. So we had a group of, of guys behind us and, and I'm golfing with a friend of mine and, uh, these guys kept hitting into us and they were like, we'd, we'd be on the green putting and their like balls would just come whizzing, whizzing by us. And it happened like three holes in a row. And, uh, my buddy went back to talk to these guys and they're like older gentlemen. Right. And, uh, anyway, my buddy ends up getting in a fight with this guy, like a full blown, like fist fight with this old man. Oh my word. And, uh, um, luckily they're, they're both fine. It didn't, you know, there was no legal action or anything that came out of it, but you know, I was up on the next tee, teeing off. I turn around and this old guy's walking up and his eyes like bleeding a little bit. Right. And, and I'm like, what the heck just happened? Cause I'm not, I'm not a fighter, Patty. I'm, I, I'm really not, but, um, it was just amazing. And I, I was telling this story one time when we were golfing and I made a comment about, you know, I don't know what happened with this old guy. He probably had PTSD or something or, or whatever. Right. But you just reminded me of that, how, how easily we can just like not be thinking about, Hey, you know, maybe that guy did have something really going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you just never know what people are going through, what they've been through. You know, like I, you were rattling off some of those stats about your husband's unit and all the people that died. Like, I just, I can't imagine dealing with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it would be hard to relate to the everyday person. It is true. Yeah, it is. And I I remember even being kind of protective of Ken at the beginning, especially Um, now we both laugh a lot, (laughs) Um, especially about the brain injury stuff, Um, just because what else are you going to do? Right. I mean, there are some really funny things that have happened, but um, I remember this lady, she was really onto him, like joke. She was joking, but it was like, I just let her talk and Ken and I are just like kind of looking at each other and then she's done talking and neither of us said anything that he had a TBI, but later she found out and she apologized, oh, <laughs> but wow. it's, it is funny because sometimes how people kind of run their mouths without yeah. thinking. Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we need to be understanding on both sides, I think yeah. too, of, of each other. Right. Cause we, we only know what we know. Yeah. Um, I've known a lot of um, civilians who've had a lot of problems and who've suffered a lot of loss. Um, you know, sometimes firefighter friends or police officer friends, or I mean, there's so many different people, physicians, EMTs, you never know who you're meeting in the store or just, you know, an acquaintance that you meet. You don't know their whole backstory. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. So, Patty. We see a lot about Afghanistan in the news right now. I'm definitely not trying to pull a political string by any means, mm-hmm. but what's the scoop on Afghanistan? What, what you got? I try really hard not to watch the news. I unplugged our cable, all the news outlets a few years ago. However, <laughs> um, it still pops up in my social media. You know, sure, you can't sure. really escape it totally. Personally, um, I think... I think what a mess. <laughs> Seems like a mess and, for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of veterans are let down. Um, Ken did not serve in Afghanistan, but still we're really passionate about what's going on mm-hmm. and n- not even just the whole, um, you know, pulling the, all the troops out at once, how we think that was not a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I feel like a lot of veterans and their families feel like we really let the Afghan Afghani people down and we are having debates here about, um, our gun rights, for example, and here we leave the Taliban with how many guns 
Right. And we have mask mandates now, and we have immunization stuff all over the media. And you look at the news with the Afghani people coming back or coming over to America, crammed on an airplane, hundreds of people, how many of them have had COVID testing or have masks on? Not one. So I just feel like there's so much controversy. And so it's so crazy. And I mean, some of the best advice I think you gave, you gave right at the front end mm -hmm. is just turn, turn the box off. Yes. It's a movie. Like, I don't think people realize when they turn on this magic talking box, like you are watching a produced Mm -hmm. show that is literally not reality. Right. It's so controversial. I mean, you have one subject here, one over here. You have people arguing and fighting and nobody knows what's going on. So I just don't watch it. I I also, with my Facebook feed, um, I try really hard to unfollow anybody who's really negative, anybody who is down on other people who are complaining all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even all the politics. Um, I my show is really non-political, and I mean we could debate back and forth all day, but at the end of the day, that's not going to solve any problems. Right, right. <laughs> so anything that um, I feel needs to be changed within um, our veteran services at the VA, maybe the military. Um, whatever it is, I try to advocate for change on a legal system mm-hmm. way. So, um, I was one of, I think there were 26 of us military caregivers who went to Washington, DC. We wow. helped, um, put together some legislation and passed, um, had the, had when we petitioned Capitol Hill. We had meet, met with, um, different white house officials to pass legislation. So whenever I feel something needs to be done, that's the route. I'd rather spend my time on that instead of on the news. I absolutely <laughs> and I encourage love everybody. Yeah. I encourage everybody to do that. Yeah. So if you're listening, people, th- this is, this is what America is about. It's about we, the people taking action and doing things and not waiting for some mystical big government out there to come do things for us. If, if we mm-hmm. see the change, we can be the change in the world. And, you know, Patty, you're doing it. You're doing it amazingly. You're impacting so many people advocating for new laws and, 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 and changing things on Capitol Hill, like super cool, all the stuff you're doing. I'm loving this conversation. If you had to leave our audience with one piece of advice, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people on the show, because one of the reasons I started this podcast was some mindset that, that Gary V shared with me, uh, or with, I guess the world, not with me personally, but, um, but he kind of got me thinking in this way, just like how cool it would be if I could be watching a podcast with like my great, great grandpa talking to, to some famous radio star like yourself, you know, 200 years down the road, you know, you know, or, or like thinking back, like all we have are these old pictures, right? Like you imagine being able to see them have a full conversation with somebody. That'd be so cool. So, you know, if you could leave future generations with, with something, what, what would you leave them with? I would leave them with the same advice that my grandma gave me. (laughs) So she told me, don't start, don't talk about politics. <laughs> Don't talk too much about, um, things that are going to divide you instead, um, focus on the good things and pass down really, really good tidbits of information. So my advice is 
to be thoughtful on the conversations that you have with people and to be aware of how much time you're spending on social media instead of spending time in person with families and friends that you really care about and really be um, cognizant of your time that you are, you're exerting basically with anything that you do and try to have balance in your life. That is great advice, Patty. Amazing advice. Well, Patty, it's been so much fun chatting with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. If y'all don't follow Patty, you need to make sure to do so. Go find her at pattycatter.com, P-A-T-T-I-K-A-T-T-E-R.com, at Patty Catter on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. And Patty, you got some some uh, albums coming out here in the next couple of months. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, thank you. Um, so when Ken was deployed, I had a really hard time sleeping. And still to this day, I sometimes still do. So I had been listening to guided meditation ever since... 2006, I guess. And it was kind of in spurts off and on. Well, a few times, some of my listeners had come to me and asked me, do you think you're, you can do some podcasting on sleep tips or on relaxation tips? And so it kind of started there a couple of years ago. I did make a couple podcasts with some short, uh, it was like a short series of tips. And I decided to about two months ago, I decided to go ahead and try to write some scripts for guided meditation. And so I started digging around in that area a little bit and figured out that there are not only scripts, but the music that you have put together for the guided meditation actually have a science, like a scientific background. There's different kinds of beats that you can put into music to help relax your mind in different Mm -hmm. frequencies. So I studied about that and I had some special music made to go with my scripts and I'm going to be recording some guided meditations actually this next week in a real studio. So I'm happy about that. And I'm going to have a couple albums coming out in September. So be on the lookout. Awesome. Patty. Very cool. Yeah. That sound stuff is really cool. When, when you start learning about how sound frequencies impact everything, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's really amazing. So we're, we're be on the lookout for those. We're excited. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on, Patty. Everybody, go give Patty a follow, subscribe, pattycatter.com. And until next time, go leave everything. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go lead everything.